0: Uh, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. So if you'd turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to John chapter 17. We're going to see if we can't finish John chapter 17 and, and John chapter 18. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll be going after it anyways. Now when we looked at John chapter 17, remember, we're looking at nine things, nine I-haves, that Jesus in His high priestly prayer, we see Jesus in a in a moment of communication with His Father. We get to actually hear and see His prayer, what He's praying, what His desire is, and what his, uh, his, where His success was. And so as Jesus lays out for us these nine I-halves, as He does, it gives us a guideline. Hey, if I want to experience that total commitment to God, that total submission to His will then we can see these things in the things that Jesus laid out for us in John chapter 17. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 4, he begins it with, I have glorified you on the earth. First key, the first point that we talked about is that we live our lives giving the glory to God. The glory is not mine. The glory does not belong to any of us. As soon as we start desiring the glory we're going to see us get out of balance with all the people around us every good and perfect gift comes from our father in heaven every good ability done either in the christian's life or non-christian's life the bible doesn't delineate says every good thing Every good thing comes from our Father in heaven. So we should always desire to point our finger back at Him. Not me. It's Him. It's not me. We don't want people to look at us. Whether we're teaching Sunday school, whether we're, we're doing worship, whatever the case, the eyes should be on the Lord. It's God's Spirit moving and leading. And so we want to make sure that in all we do, just as Jesus, we are here Living our lives to glorify the Lord. Then Jesus said, I have finished the work. I have finished the work. We know when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, He didn't heal everyone He went by. In fact, in the in the book of Acts, we see a man who from his youth had been laid by the gate beautiful who was lame. Jesus would go through the gate beautiful to enter into the temple every time he went to the temple. And every time he walked by this guy, I'm sure that guy reached out to be healed and Jesus never healed him. Because that's not what he was called to do. That healing was called for Peter and John. Peter and John would do that healing. Remember when when Peter and John, he would ask for alms and, and Peter and John would say, Silver and gold have I not, but what I have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. But that was God's plan for Peter and John. Jesus said, I have finished the work. I have done what God has called me to do. For each one of us, there is a, a, a call on our life. There's a desire in our heart that wants to burst forth. And it needs, to, it needs to come forth. There are two bodies of water in the nation of Israel. Two large bodies of water. One We see the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is living and vibrant, full of life. The Jordan River flows in and the Jordan River flows out. The other body of water is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, water flows in, nothing flows out, and everything in the Dead Sea is dead. The same thing is true in our lives. Folks, if we receive from the Lord, but we don't have an outlet to pour out, we become like the Dead Sea. We just fill up with all this stuff, but it doesn't have anywhere to go. And it drowns out all all the the fruitfulness in our life. We want to flow through. We want to finish a word God's called us to. We want to accomplish whatever it is that the Lord has laid on. Not what man lays on your heart. Not what the preacher can guilt you into. But what you're called to. What God has laid in your heart and on your life to move forward and be a part of that work. Then Jesus said uh, in uh, in verse 6, I have manifested your name. That word manifested means I have lived your name. Jesus Christ, by the very manner in which he carried himself, pictured for us God the Father. The Bible says no man can see God and live. But the only begotten, Jesus Christ, He reveals God to us. Jesus lived it. He lived the name of God before us. He manifested His name. And that's where we want to be. We want to manifest the name of God. Do our actions. The things we do, the works we do, are they shining a light on the Lord? Are we manifesting God? And when people see us, are they seeing the face of Jesus Christ? Are we reflecting His glory in our lives? If we want to be totally submitted and committed to the Lord, it's one of the things Jesus did. It's one of the things he's praying about right here. I have done this. He's desiring that his people would go forward and do the same thing. He goes on in verse 8. He gives us the next one. I have given them the words which you have given me. Now you remember last week, that's the Rima. The spoken word, that exact word for exactly the right time. It's not speaking of the scripture. We'll see that in a couple of verses. This is that word. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance when it's time. Have you ever been trying to minister to someone and, and you wanted to have just the right word that they need to receive. And the, and the Spirit give you a verse You even quoted it, didn't even know that you knew that verse, but there it comes, out from inside of you. That's an example of the Rima, that exacting word, that perfect word that Jesus had. Now, Jesus, we saw him use that, right? Remember the woman at the well? Well, you say rightly you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. You remember how Jesus laid that, the exact word? What did it do? It wasn't a condemning word, was it? All of a sudden, she realized she would go tell all her friends, Come meet the, the one, the Messiah, the Christ, who told me everything I ever did. He had the right word at the right moment. We want that. We want the right word at the right moment. I've had lots of wrong words at the right moment. Maybe most of you husbands have experienced the same thing. Uh, somehow I can always find the wrong thing to say that I, I think... I knew what Kathy wanted to hear, but apparently I I was missing that signal. I want the Rima. I want the Holy Spirit to give that utterance. Scripture goes on. In verse 12, he gives us the next one. And I have kept them in your name. Like a shepherd, Jesus kept us. He held us. He holds us in his hands. Jesus said in John chapter 10, that I hold you in my hands and no one can snatch you out. The Father who is greater than all, He has His hands clasped around us as well. No one can can snatch you from the Father's hands. He has kept us. Salvation does not depend on you and I. Beyond the point where we make the choice to receive the free gift of God. Once we receive that free gift of God, Paul would say, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded He is able to keep me to that day. Jesus never lost one person. And you're not going to be the first. He won't lose you. Put yourself in his hands and he'll keep you. He'll carry you through. I have kept them. God wants us to keep one another. He wants us to see one another like God sees us. That's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? To see a brother and sister the way God sees them instead of the way they annoy us or bug us or whatever. But to see him with God's eyes and to realize, no, this is one of God's kids, and he loves them. And he'll give us that love so that we can love them too and keep them always in our heart. Isn't that what Paul wrote? Throughout Paul's epistles, I keep you always in my heart. What was that? That phrase that he uses was all about lifting up the brothers and the sisters in prayer, keeping them in his heart. This is what Jesus did. And he calls us to. Now in verse 14, as we catch up to where we were, he says, I have given them your word. That is the word of God, the logos. Not the rima, the spoken word, but now the logos. Remember in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the logos was with God and the logos was God. I have given them your word, the scripture, the word Jesus in fact, when he walked down the road of Emmaus after the resurrection, didn't he open up for those two disciples, all of the Old Testament, and explain to them how the Messiah was to suffer and die and rise again? Didn't he open up their eyes by the way he opened up the scripture before them? And so Jesus did the same thing. He wants us as well. One of the prayers you can pray that will always be answered, if you're devotional life would go like this get up in the morning and spend 15 minutes in prayer 15 minutes in the word and 15 minutes sharing what you read with someone that day that's it you pray Lord allow me to share my devotion this morning with somebody in my path today and God will provide the opportunity no question before, probably before you get very far down the road, you'll have an opportunity to share your devotion. In fact, uh, 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 one of the early church fathers said, this is a surefire way not to backslide. 15 minutes in the Word, 15 minutes in prayer, 15 minutes sharing that Word with someone else. Every day. Make it a habit. Make it a part of your life. Share the Word, even as Jesus Christ did, even as he did as well. Now, in verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. As the Lord goes on in his prayer, listen, he is not going to remove us from every difficulty in life. I'm reminded of the seven letters to the seven churches. The church, Smyrna, they were told, To be faithful. Smyrna was a persecuted church. In fact, Smyrna was going through very, very intense persecution. Very intense. And Jesus Christ, in writing the letter to the church of Smyrna, said, Be faithful to death. He didn't didn't promise them that he was going to take them out. He said, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We have to go through our lives with that attitude that no matter what, I am never going to quit. I'm never going to stop. It's the Zoe, that unstoppable, unquenchable life. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life more abundant. The Zoe. Paul lived the Zoe. We read about it in In uh, the book of Corinthians, he tells us all the stripes that he bore. How many times he was stoned and shipwrecked and, and bitten by vipers. And all the things that Paul went through. Did he ever quit? No. But he did pray for deliverance. Do you remember? Three times he prayed for a thorn in his flesh to be removed. And what is it that the Lord said to him? No, my grace is sufficient for you. For what? My strength is made perfect. In your weakness. Do you know that when we go through difficult times. The light of God shines in us so brightly. As no other time in our life. When we go through hardship and persecution. The light of Jesus Christ is just flowing out of us. And so the Lord allows those things to go through our life. Now, this is how it works, folks. This is why it's important for the men to come to the men's retreat. That works like this Satan brings this evil into your life, and he means it for evil, but God meant it for good. Satan means to destroy you, but God means to strengthen you, to make you strong. In the book of Romans, if you hold your finger there with me and flip over to Romans. In Romans chapter 5, just share a a quick word that that Paul has for us. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1, now 2. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. That should be our attitude in persecution in this world, but not of this world. Pastor Steve would always say it was like a boat in the ocean. You guys remember? He said, as long as the water is outside the boat, the boat is in the world, but not of the world. Just like we are in the world, but not of the world. But when the water gets in the boat, we have problems, don't we? We have problems. That's what it means to be in and of the world. We don't want to be like that. We want to be in the world, but not of it. Able to go through the world. Able to do the things God is calling each of us to do. So Jesus prayed for us, folks. He prayed not that we would be delivered from every hardship in life. But that we would be kept safe from the evil one. That God holds you in His hand, and He will not lose you. And the devil's not gonna win. We read the the end of the book, ain't we? The devil's gonna lose, no question. He loses. (laughs) Woohoo! So we don't have to be worried about that. Jesus prayed for us. I'm reminded of a story. Maybe you guys have heard about this. of a of a man who saw a, a cocoon in a in a in a butterfly breaking forth. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to see a butterfly come through a cocoon, but it's it's kind of a trip to watch him do it. It looks like a lot of hard work. When this fellow who was watching him, he just reached down there and he seen this butterfly trying to get out, and he was tired of waiting. He wants to see the butterfly. So he just tears open the cocoon and let the butterfly out. But what he saw wasn't a butterfly was a big old grotesque body with little bitty wings, never able to fly. And in a few minutes after he opened the cocoon, the butterfly died. You see, it's in the battle to escape the cocoon that the fluid in the butterfly's body is pressed into the wings and it can take flight. But without the battle to leave the cocoon, it will never be a butterfly. That's how it is for us. Without the battles of life, we're not going to be able to fly. But Jesus promised we will. He's going to accomplish that perfect work in us, even as he prayed for us. For verse 16 says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's so important for us to realize today. The world's clamoring around like Pilate. We'll see Pilate in the next chapter say to Jesus, what is truth? Isn't that what the world says now? You have truth, I have truth, they have truth. Who knows what the truth is? There's only one truth. There's only one. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God, Jesus Christ, is truth. And so we see that God wants us to experience His truth and sanctify ourselves by that truth sanctify means to be set apart to allow the word of god to set you apart that you live your life on the foundation of god's word that you allow god's word to guide you that it's more than just words on a page so much more than that it's what we want to live by it's what we want to give ourselves to and in verse 18 we have the next i have statement he says as You sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He sent out his disciples, and in the Great Commission, he has sent us out as well. Hasn't he? He has sent us. We are called to go forward and be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. The word for witness, folks, is martus. It's a word from which we get the word martyr. That's why when we read the book of of Romans, we see uh, that God is calling us to a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. He wants us to be a living sacrifice to him. He wants us to serve. Folks, if we're not serving, we're going to wither up. If we're not fulfilling that call that God has given us. and, And you need to realize this. The book of Romans tells us the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable you can't lose them it's still your call you cannot exercise it it can be weak and withered but it's still that call however faint it's still there book of Romans is very clear on that point we need to exercise that call we need to be willing to serve answer like Isaiah remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple And the Lord begins to talk to Isaiah and he says, who will go to my people and tell my people my word? Who will go for us? Who shall we send? You remember what Isaiah said? Here am I. Send me. That needs to be our heart. Here am I. I don't know what I can do. I don't know where my gifts and talents may lie. But God, if you open a door, I'm going to go through it. If you open a door, I'll step in. I'm not afraid and I'm not ashamed of the name Jesus Christ to bear his name as we go through this life. So that next I have statement is that we would go into all the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus Christ setting himself apart that we also would be set apart. How do we become holy? By the sacrifice that Jesus is about to make. Folks, He is almost there. He is almost being arrested. He is almost at the cross. Just hours separate him from the cross. And here he is, praying for his disciples, for you and I. Here he is with that heart, setting himself apart unto the work of the Father. And then he says in verse 20, Look, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, you were on his mind. That proves it. I don't pray for these only, these disciples, but what? All who will believe by their words. And that's us, folks. He's praying for us. He's praying for you and I. And what is his prayer for us? Uh, That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe That you sent me. He prays that we would be unified. That the body of Christ would be unified. Moving in one direction. He doesn't pray that we would all agree on every point. He doesn't pray that there would never be any diversity within the body of Christ. That's not what he says. He wants us to be unified. Common goal. What's our common goal? To see Jesus Christ face to face. To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When we keep the main thing, the main thing, you know how well we can all get along? You get along pretty good. As long as you don't mess with the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ. Amen. We keep the main thing, the main thing. and We're able to move forward as one. And that's his prayer for us. That we would be unified. Working together. And then he gives us that eighth. I have. And the glory which you have. Or which you gave me. I have given them. That they may be one. Just as we are one. The glory That you've given me, I've given them. The book of Ephesians says that we have already been glorified in Christ Jesus. That's the key. In Jesus, we are sanctified. In Jesus, we are righteous. In Jesus, we are glorified. In Jesus, we are right now sitting in heavenly places. Your place in heaven is already set in Christ. The body of Christ. Where is the body of Christ right now? The body of Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and He lives ever to make intercession for us. The body of Christ is already seated in the heavenlies. Your place is secure. The point that Jesus is saying here is, I have glorified my disciples. I have glorified those who put their faith and trust in me. He wants us to see one another in that same light. See one another the way again that God sees us to recognize that perfect work that God has and has done in each of our lives, that we would be unified. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one, in unity, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me be with me where I am. Do you hear Jesus praying that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven? That's what he just prayed to the Father. He just prayed that you and I would be where he is. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Man, it's incredible the prayer that Jesus is praying just prior to his arrest. Just prior to that moment. Oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name. The final I have, the ninth one. I have declared your name to them. He had manifested their name. He lived it. And then he declared their name. He spoke it. You met people who could speak but not quite live? Or people that would live maybe and not speak? Jesus did both. He manifested his name and he spoke his name. You remember it? We read about it as we went through the Gospel of John. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd who gives us life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. He spoke. He declared the name of God and He manifested that name. He lived it. He sustained them by the example that He gave. You want to know what truth is? Nancy Missler a definition of truth. I kind of like it. She said, truth is when word and deed become one. Isn't that who Jesus Christ is? He spoke it. He did it. He is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. And then we begin chapter 18. So when Jesus had finished saying these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. He goes to a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane. In fact, I have a picture I wanted to share with you a few pictures today, if we can get to them. We have a picture of what Gethsemane is all about. That is an olive press. The olive would be skinned, the pits of the olive to placed into the press, and then crushed. And that crushing is what would produce the olive oil. Jesus went to a garden that was named after crushing. You remember what took place at Gethsemane, right? You remember that it was at Gethsemane that he prayed three times if if this cup could be taken from him. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus giving us that example. Well, as we look at the next slide, this is from Israel. This tree dates back to the time of Jesus Christ. This is an olive tree. An olive tree never dies as long as the root lives, but they get gnarly looking. This is a 2,000 year old olive tree. And still it produces fruit because the roots are alive. You and I in our lives, we will always produce fruit just like that. As long as our roots, as long as we are rooted in Christ, in Christ, we will remain fruitful. In the next slide, we have uh, some other pictures of other trees there in one of the proposed sites for the Garden of Gethsemane in the Holy Land. As we go to the next one. This is the Mount of Olives. About half of the Mount of Olives is the oldest and one of the largest graveyards in all of Israel. Why? Because the Messiah is going to return and put his feet down on the Mount of Olives. So every good Jew wants to be buried there. So when the Messiah comes, he can be one of the first ones to be resurrected. So most of the olive trees on the Mount of Olives have been taken out. And instead, it has become... A graveyard, a graveyard for those hoping for the resurrection. In the next slide, it's a little map so you can kind of get your, your mindset on what's going on right now. The circle down at the bottom where it says stepstone structure, that is Caiaphas' house. That's where Jesus is going to be taken when he's arrested. When we look up where it says Mount of Olives with an arrow, that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. It's about a mile. One mile from one to the other. The, right behind the the Dome of the Rock, the al the Temple Mount would have been where the upper room was. So Jesus would have left the upper room. In John chapter 13, he would have began to walk to the Mount of Olives. In John chapter 18, he has arrived. He's arrived there at the Mount of Olives at Gethsemani or the Garden of Gethsemane. In the next slide... Um, gives us the Kidron Valley. That little green patch around the city is what's known as the Kidron Valley. The brook Kidron runs in the midst of that valley. It's a little brook you can easily jump across. But that is where the blood of the sacrifice on the Temple Mount would be drained. And so they named that brook Kidron or Murky. Because at the time of Passover and the sacrifice, the the water would turn murky with all the blood from the lambs. And next slide... This is a church built over the site of Caiaphas' home. And just to the right of it, you can see those steps that are the steps that Jesus walked up. On the next slide, those are them. Those exact steps. Jesus came down those steps or up those steps when he was arrested. Not steps like that. Those steps. Those are the ones that he walked on coming to Caiaphas' house when he was arrested. And finally... Here we have a, the, an overview of the entire deal. The circle to the left, Caiaphas' house. The big circle at the bottom, the Garden of Gethsemane. The arrow points to the Kidron Valley. So Jesus has crossed over the Kidron. We just read that. Come up to the Mount of Olives, about a one-mile walk. And he sits on this Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is higher than the Temple Mount. So you can see everything. And when the soldiers come to get Jesus, they come from that little circle. Now, don't lose sight of the fact that at Passover, Jerusalem had swelled to about 2 million people coming for the Passover. There's going to be lights and torches everywhere. But you see, Jesus knows when he sees a line of torches coming toward the Mount of Olives, that here they come. And he would tell his disciples, Come with me and pray. You remember Jesus would remove himself a little ways away from, him and when he came back, who was sleeping? Peter, James, and John. They couldn't stay awake. It happens to us, doesn't it? How many times at night do we try to pray only to fall asleep in the middle of our prayer? And so he comes back and he wakes them up and he says, Hey, you gotta be ready. Be ready. Why? Because Jesus can see the torches coming. But they fell back asleep. Jesus went back and prayed again. He came back and he found him sleeping. He left him there. He finished his prayer and then he woke him up and said, "'It's time for my betrayal.'" That line of soldiers had already arrived to where he was. So let's take a look at chapter 18 as this begins. "'They crossed over the brook Kidron, "'where there was a garden, Gethsemane or Gethsemane, and his disciples entered. "'And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place.'" For Jesus often met there with his disciples. And Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came up there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them Can you imagine? The whole time Jesus is up there, all the disciples think it's just another day. Jesus has been talking about weird things today and, and been kind of intense. But hey, the morning's coming. Everything's going to be all right. The morning was never going to come. Everything was going to change that night in a few moments. And Jesus said to his disciples, what? Watch and pray. Now, what is it that he says to his church today? Same thing, doesn't he? Watch and pray. For you know not the hour in which your master comes be ready you don't know what the next moment holds for you but god knows he sees all he knows about it all so where can we find the strength to endure to overcome we'll find that strength in christ as we watch and pray now what happened to the disciples they they weren't able to watch and pray and when the arresting officers came they all fled right they weren't ready The same thing will occur to us in that moment for us. If we're not prepared, if we're not spending the time God has called us to in prayer. Oh, look what happens. Jesus goes forward to them, easily seeing them coming up the hill. And he says, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, Ego, I me. I am ego I me you see that the he in your Bible is in italics it's not there he said I am I am the I am of Exodus chapter 3 when Moses asked God what his name was and God said I am that I am the ego I me wouldn't have meant anything to the Roman soldiers but to the Jews that were with him he was speaking the impronounceable name of God I am the becoming one. I am everything you need. And when he said, I am, all the soldiers fell down. Well, you see, Judas was given a detachment. The detachment, the only detachment in Jerusalem who had a captain was a detachment that was there at the, at the praetorium. There around Pilate, Pilate's guys. And so that, that captain would have had 600 men, a cohort. Cohort is always between 480 and 600. It has a captain over him. He had all the temple guards, all the temple soldiers, and some of the Pharisees all going to arrest Jesus at night. And when he said, I am, he knocked them all down. By the word of his mouth, they all hit the ground. Then the Bible say, That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By the way, when we consider that Jesus is Lord, it's a declaration of his deity. Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. They're going to all bow their knees. Well, here they all get blown away just by the word of his mouth. Psalm 27 indicated that this would take place that they would all stumble and fall and so this is what we see and he says ego i me i am and they all fall now when he said i am they drew back and fell to the ground then he asked them again whom are you seeking and they said jesus of nazareth do you think it was different the second time 600 soldiers all armed to the teeth coming to arrest jesus obviously they're expecting some kind of trouble aren't they I mean, after all, this is a guy who drove the money changers out of the temple. He made a whip of cords. He whooped them all out of the temple, cleansed his father's house. We got to be ready for the battle. So they come up there and all he has to do is say, I am. And they're all on the ground. I wonder what, how they said Jesus of Nazareth the second time. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Jesus says, who are you seeking? Jesus answered and said, I have told you I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. He wanted his disciples. He's being arrested. He knows all things. He's about to be beaten worse than any human being has ever been beaten. And I've seen some bad beatings in my life, in my time. Had an opportunity to be called to a hospital on several different... uh, Beatings, folks that got hurt real bad. But the Bible says that Jesus was marred worse than any man. Any. He knows he's facing the worst beating of his life, but what's his thoughts for? His disciples. Let these go. Take care of them. Make sure that they're going to be okay. So he said this in verse 9 that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, a lot of people give Peter grief. They give him grief that how in the world did he miss and hit the guy's ear. But that's not that hard to do. The sword that Peter was using was a sword that was used to cleave heads. It was designed to bring down on helmeted heads. Jesus had, had given a hint that there were hard times coming, and Peter went out and got himself a, sh- a sword. This sword was not a sharp sword, it was like a, a sword without an edge, and it was used to hammer down on top of guys' heads. And Peter, having woke up out of a sleep, He sees soldiers coming for Jesus, and he takes that sword over his head, and he comes down to split Malchus' head in two. And he missed by three inches and got his ear. Ripped his ear off. The language says ripped, not sliced. Tore that ear off of him. What was Peter declaring and all that? Jesus, you're not right. I am willing to die for you. I'm willing. Right now, he pulled out that sword. What do you think that was going to do with 600 Roman soldiers? You think he was just going to hack his way through them? That only happens in the movies, folks. In reality, one against 600 always loses. He brings down that sword, and he's thinking, I am going to die. I'm willing to die, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it right now. But What was it that Jesus said to him? Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? This is the reason I came, Peter. This is what I had to do. And Jesus is always also saying to Peter, Peter, I'm not really interested in how you're willing to die for me. I want to know, how are you willing to live? Dead man only bears witness so long. A living man, he bears witness every single day. Peter, you're willing to die. Are you willing to live? The scripture tells us the very last miracle that Jesus did was to put Malchus' ear back on. The last miracle was to heal someone that had been injured by one of his disciples. It saved Peter's life, maybe Malchus' Can you imagine what that was like? All the soldiers around, Peter takes off his ear, Jesus reaches down reattaches ear. Everybody knows what just happened. You're coming to arrest a man. At the moment that you're coming to arrest him, somebody is attacked, his ear is lopped off, Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, and he's healed. He's not bleeding. Nothing's wrong with him. Doesn't that strike you as strange? Why are we arresting this guy? But the forces that were moving forward on that night, they were not ever going to be stopped. Jesus came to die. How was it that they arrested him? He gave himself to them. He said, I am. And they all fell down. How many times did he walk through the midst of them before when they tried to arrest him? But this was the day the Lord had made. This was his time. This was the reason for which he came. And it says in verse 12, And the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Okay, folks, I'm going to, later on as we go through chapter 18, I'm going to lay out all the the legal irregularities. But I'm going to give you a couple right now. One, they could not arrest anyone based on the word of a betrayer. They could not arrest anyone based on a word of a betrayer. Why did they arrest Jesus? Because Judas pointed him out, the betrayer. What else couldn't they do? They couldn't bind him. He was innocent until proven guilty. They wouldn't bind a prisoner. Was Jesus fighting? The only way a prisoner would be bound is if he resisted. Did he resist? Not at all. He went with them. But they bound him. They bound him. They were so interested in killing Jesus, they broke all their own rules. The Pharisees were not allowed to be in an arrest, but the Pharisees were there. They were not allowed to have a Sanhedrin gather together at night and have a trial at night, but they called for a quorum. There were 70 Sanhedrin, but they only needed 23 for a quorum. So that night, they invited 23 of the Sanhedrin. None of the ones who had followed Jesus were invited to be a part. But the 23 that they could control, they were there. And all they needed was a vote with a majority of two. So, if they had two over those who had voted against, they would be able to move forward. They could not vote or they could not cast their vote for the, for the plea of guilty or to crucify it or, or to give the death penalty the same day of the trial. They had to wait 24 hours by law. Why? So that mercy would enter into their hearts before entering the plea. All of those things were ignored at the, at the trial of Jesus. All of them. Everything ignored. Why? Because the only perfect and truly righteous man ever in the history of the world was going to become our sacrifice. He will be declared righteous, innocent seven times. He will, be, he will face six trials. The final thing that Pilate will say is I'm washing my hands, right? He's an innocent man. Yet he sent him to be crucified. Why is that? Folks, the lamb the lamb had to be without blemish and without spot had to be perfect. Had to be perfect. And Jesus Christ will be declared perfect as he offers that perfect sacrifice he's on his way up those steps i just showed you they're taking him up those steps so that he can begin to face his accusers but i'm reminded as i as i consider that a a story i once heard story goes something like this there was a father who had two sons And all his life, all he desired was to finally make it to Israel for the Passover. So he finally they had saved up enough money. He took his two boys out. They picked a lamb, the perfect lamb. And they began to take that lamb. And as they journeyed from the area that they were from, Cyrene. As they journeyed from that place going toward Jerusalem. He told his sons, his two sons, their name was Alexander and Rufus. He told them along the way what the lamb was all about. And he told them all along the way, when we get to the city, guys, you got to be careful. Don't lose the lamb. Keep your eye on the lamb. Take care. Don't lose it. When they entered into Jerusalem, as they're trying to come in, this force of people is trying to get out. They're trying to get in for their sacrifice, but all these people are coming out. And, and all of a sudden, the dad realizes what's going on. It's a, it's a crucifixion. The first guy coming out, he's cursing and swearing at all the crowd, saying, if they let me go, I'd kill every last one of you. And as he goes by, the father's holding his boy's ears from the sounds that that, that criminal was making. And he tells him, guys, hold on to the lamb. Hold on to the lamb. The next guy comes through and he's crying, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, I didn't do it. And all the people are looking at him and and he's looking at this guy and he he feels sorrowful in his heart for this guy as he walks by, but then he sees something he didn't think he'd ever see. He sees someone walking through that whole procession with his cross on his back, not saying a word. And watching the hatred of the crowd. Say pluck his beard they spit on him as they as they do everything they can as he walks through but yet not one word came out of his lips and while he was marveling at that the father's name was simon a roman soldier tapped him on the shoulder jesus had fallen And the Roman soldier said, you carry the cross. I can't carry the cross. My boys are right here. No, he reaches for a sword. You don't tell a Roman soldier. No. So the last thing he said to his sons, hold on to the lamb. Try to stay with me. I'll find you. He got under that cross and he was never the same again. Again. He walked side by side with Jesus up the hill to the place that he would be crucified. Totally forgot about the fact that his boys were somewhere behind him as he was just mesmerized at the sacrifice that he was watching. And as he watched them nail his hands to the cross and prop him up on that hill to crucify him. About that time, Alexander and Rufus found their dead dad they're crying and the father kept telling us okay boys it's okay it's alright but they're bawling they could hardly be consoled finally the dad said boys what's wrong and the boy said we lost the lamb and Simon turned around and pointed at the cross and he said behold the lamb Alexander and Rufus become pillars in the church. Maybe the story's true, maybe not, but the characters are true. Simon carried the cross for Jesus, and Alexander and Rufus were his boys. Never take your eyes off the Lamb who paid the price for our sin. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you. We praise you for this opportunity that we have, Father, to enter into your throne room, Father God, to consider the incredible sacrifice that you paid for us. That, God, as you were being arrested, as you were being beaten, as you were headed to to that moment in time, Lord, you thought of each one of us. You saw our face as you prayed. And for those who will believe... Unite them together as one. For those who will believe, Father, I pray that they would see me glorified. Lord, I thank you that without a doubt, we were on your mind as you went to the cross. Without a doubt, you would be declared innocent without a doubt. The world would think they had crucified an unrighteous man, but God would declare your righteousness at the resurrection when you rose from the dead. And the Father would declare, No other righteousness will stand before me than the righteousness of my Son. For he who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. At this moment, help us remember that when you call us to give all for you, that that is something you did for us first. You're not asking us to do something you wouldn't do. You're calling us to be committed, to be submitted unto you. to to pray even as, as you prayed that the will of the Father would be done in our life, that we would glorify you, that we would speak forth your word, that we would teach your word, that we would give out, that we would keep people in our hearts, Lord, even as you did. Father, that we would just have that desire with everything that is within us. To bring glory unto your name. That when people see us. When they see us. They will see you. Help us to rightly reflect your glory. As we go throughout our week. Give us the strength we need to be what you're calling us to be. And may you be glorified always in that perfect work. As we lay it before you, in Jesus' name, amen.